Thank you, uh, Arian and Jeremy, Ken, and the entire team. On these summer sum, uh, uh, Sunday mornings when so many of our folks are away, so thankful for the people God gives us uh, to lead us in worship. So, I've, I've come to just love these folks so much, and thank you for coming to all of our services today. Um, Marion mentioned to you earlier that the text we come to today is a very special one uh, to Chris and to me. It's, it's a text I've never preached from before this weekend, partially because it's so personal. And finally, I thought, okay, I can look at this. It's Psalm 139. I don't know if I can do justice to the beauty, the power, and the depth of truth of this. So by God's grace, we're going to learn something about the Lord today. It's, it's, it's one of the most profound psalms in the Bible, revealing to us what God is like. Psalm 139. Newcomers, uh, if you, the psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. If you'll take the Bible out that's in the pew in front of you and just kind of open it up, you'll probably find the psalms and then just keep turning to 139. I'd, I'd sure like you to see this as we read it. And I'd like us to stand because we're going to be hearing the word of our Father. You see, it's, it's for the director of music. Uh, it's a psalm of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. 
They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. But search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I want to show you a few pictures this morning. Let's see what we have here. Aha! Riley Heather Green, our granddaughter. Now, oh, the one on the right is Riley. Yeah. Chris wasn't happy that I picked out these pictures. He said, we have much cuter ones, but these are the only ones that I could find. Or, or this, aha, you see, I wanted to show you that one. And yes, I'm the small, uh, no, I'm the bigger one there. You know what I really wanted? I was wondering, someday I'd love to get a picture of a, a, a little rose baby, uh, you know, Jeremy and Vanessa. There is one. Look, yes, I'm making an announcement today. Just, you, you see, it's worth coming to church. <laughs> Jeremy and Vanessa... I think uh, due in February, and I, I've heard Vanessa's view. See, isn't it good to show up at church? <laughs> we always like pictures, don't we? Uh, I, I keep hearing that more and more we're becoming a visual uh, society. Uh, people would rather see uh, pictures than, than hear or read words. And it made me think about Alice in Wonderland. Have any of you read that and how it begins? Uh, let me read the very opening part. Uh, Alice was starting to get very tired, sitting on the bank with her sister with nothing to do. Uh, Once or twice she peeked into the book her sister was reading, but it it had no pictures in it. What's the use of a book, thought Alice, if it has no pictures? Uh, I I think that a lot of people in our day can relate to Alice. We we, we just love pictures. We, We find them more interesting than just mere words. Uh, I think that's why uh, uh, publishers employ illustrators. I'm sure that's why newspapers uh, have, have photographers. I think that's why uh, a number of years ago, television quickly became more popular uh, than, than radio, uh, the cinema more popular than the library for many people. And in our day, uh, YouTube probably more popular than blogs that have no pictures. And I'll tell you, it's part of the reason why I find sometimes the preaching is quite a challenge for me. Especially when I when I preach to a place where people say, you know, I don't really like to hear speeches all that much. (laughs) I just like to see images and things uh, that, that I have to come to grips with the fact that the Bible is a book without pictures. And especially in the most important part of what we do on a Sunday morning to come to learn about God the Bible quite specifically tells us that we're not supposed to make pictures of God. Do you remember my, uh, my study on the second commandment? Uh, now, people have tried to make pictures of God, but, but they've always failed. Perhaps one of the best known is a great work of art by Michelangelo. 
painted on the, uh, the mural on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I, th- I think we have it here. You see, now that is one of the great works of art by one of the greatest artists in history. And still, when you look at it, I'm looking at 9 o'clock service. We have a few folks here that may be over 40. Doesn't it look like one of the older ones of us who has flowing hair, kind of in our geriatric ears, pasted on the body of Michael Phelps? You know, that's, that's kind of what it's like. And you've got to remember, this is one of the greatest artists in history. And if this is the way he portrays God, kind of a Santa Claus on steroids. You know, we come on a Sunday morning, and when we know that there is a God, we know he's bigger than this. And that's why the Bible tells us that we're not to make pictures of him, because any time we try to do that, it diminishes the greatness and the glory of God. No matter how great the artist may be, when we try to just say, this is what God is like, we start worshiping that thing, and God is always so much greater than that. And then we can no longer really imagine the greatness of His power, and His justice, and His holiness, and His love for us. Well, then, we have to say, if we're not supposed to do that, we ask the same questions that some of the Old Testament folks did, like Moses and Isaiah. God, how can we know you? How, how can we know you? And, and, and God has said, even though you're not to make pictures of me, I'll make myself known through, through words. That he speaks to us, he speaks to us uh, through his word. It is through the preaching and the hearing of the word that if we'll listen carefully, that we are to know God. So the, those of you who say, I don't like speeches, Maybe this is one time that I say, I, I better listen carefully. Because if I'm going to know God, I, I need to hear uh, what he has to say. Now, words can also diminish God. So we have to be very careful in them. Because there's something about God that we cannot fully grasp, surely with pictures or even with words. And we call it the mystery of God. But words that are based upon this, the word of God, in which God makes himself known to us, are those things that point us toward his mystery, and we begin to grasp something about his greatness. Um, And perhaps there is no part of Scripture that speaks to us about the greatness and the glory of God more beautifully, more clearly than Psalm 139. Uh, Theologians, Bible scholars have always found it to be one of the most profound and beautiful texts in the Bible. And since we come, you get up on Sunday mornings, and come in to worship God, I ask you, who is the God we worship? What is He like? Don't you want to know Him better? Doesn't our worship become what it should be as you and I come to know more and more about what God has said to us about Himself? Well, if that's why we've come, then we should listen very carefully because this text points us to Him. Now, like so many of the Psalms, it it truly is a song. Uh, There are four stanzas. Uh, Three of the stanzas tell us different parts of the identity of God. And then the last one, you probably noticed, did you notice as I read one point, just jumps out at you. It's so different from the rest. It really tells us how we might respond to this kind of God. So if if you've come this morning to worship him, if you've come to learn about him, uh, this is is a message we need to listen to carefully. If you've known him and long to know him better, He'll speak to us today. If you come and you're, you're not sure you have a relationship with him and you'd like to know something about this, this God that people talk about, listen to what God says about himself. 
stanza number one. It talks about the mystery of God's all-embracing knowledge. There's a mystery in this. It's mind-boggling to us, but I'll just call it his all-embracing knowledge. Look at how David, in writing it, talks about it and, and even personalizes it. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you know when I'm going out. You know, when I'm lying down, you're familiar with all my ways, but not just that before a word is even on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in uh, the American church here in the 21st century, there's quite a movement abroad um, that, that tries to tell us that God doesn't know everything. That there is a limitation in the knowledge of God particularly that he doesn't have perfect knowledge of all future events. Uh, the intent of this movement, if you're not aware of it, is to try to help God look better, I think, because we all know that there is suffering and evil in the world, and the idea is, well, like all of us, God is still in, in process. And, and so it's not that he knows everything and, and is in control of everything. I, I hope that you see this morning that when you look and see what God reveals about himself, he doesn't allow for us to see him that way. We, we may want him to be that way, but he, he is not that way. Uh, and that's what David is thinking about. What, what is that like to live in this world where the God who reveals himself has made known that he knows everything? Uh, I've been trying to think about how to talk about this. I, th I think all of us here in Southern California have been into the bank or, or into a, a department store and you see these, uh, these surveillance cameras there. Some of them have that sensitivity that almost everywhere you go, you can almost see the, the camera turning with, with its, its lens. How do they make you feel? How do they make you feel? I, I'm guessing if you're going to try to be involved in shoplifting, they may be a little bit intimidating to you. Um, I, I'm guessing if we have a good, clear conscience, it might be all right, even though we might want our privacy much more. So maybe as I read that first stanza that re runs from verse 1 to 6, talking about how much God knows, it might feel a little bit intimidating. Because David here says, listen, every moment of my life is seen, it's surveyed, God, by you. And it's not just my actions. Do you notice that it's the words that I speak? And it's not just my actions, my words, it's the thoughts that I, that I think Every detail of my existence, Father, you search me, and I know this, you know me. So if you want to know about God, we, as frail human beings, may try to hide things from other people, uh, from our families, our spouses, our, our friends, our parents, even from the church. I tell you, church is really one of those places where we often try to, to hide things, Right? We often put on our best clothes. We may have a big fight before we show up. But here, we, we try to look pretty good. Uh, but we see that if we're going to know God as he is, uh, we can't hide from him. And, and David just sits there and thinks about it. I can't even bar what's happening inside my head from you, God. That's what you're like, God. I know that's what you like. Every, you're like I, everything I do, everything I say, everything I think is wide open to your knowledge. You really know me. 
Now, how do you feel about that? My first thought, it's, it's possible that we could have the same feeling that you get when you read George Orwell's 1984. That any of you read that? Where always and everywhere you'd go, you have that phrase, Big Brother is watching you. Could feel like it would be oppressive and take away any joy for a living. But I want you to see that that's not the way that David felt about this. In fact, he felt like the fact that God knew everything was one of the greatest comforts in all of his life. And you wonder how on earth can that possibly be understood? Verse 5, look at it. This knowledge about you, he had said in verse 4, it's wonderful. Before a word is on my lips, you know it. Father, you hem me in, you protect me behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. You know about me and I'm not alone. And such knowledge, he says, is way too wonderful for me to attain. Now, let's see if we can grasp this. If there's a person who is out to get you, perhaps a colleague at work that wants to take away your job, then then you're almost afraid to let that person know any one of your, your failures, right? Because they'll use it against you. But what if you have someone who loves you and always wants the very best for you, uh, cares about you, and sees if something is happening that will hurt you in the future will come alongside and and talk to you about it. Then, as, as we get to know one another and trust one another and know that that other person loves us and cares for us, don't we begin opening up our lives a little bit to those people that we trust? I hope that you've experienced that. Those real relationships... We don't have very many of them in this world, do we? I mean, real, deep and genuine, trusting, loving relationships where we feel like, ah, I can even open up some of the ugly parts of my life to this person and trust that person with that part of my life because that person means well by me. They they want things to go well for me. Now, that's the way God is. And David knew that. God had already known many of his failures And yet God still loved him. Those of us who live this side of the coming of Jesus Christ, we know it even more. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son so that we can be forgiven. He gives a spirit to us so that that our lives can be different. And, And the point that David is trying to make is, as I try to understand what you are like, Father, the first thing I have to come to grips with is, you know everything, you know everything about me, and it is beautiful. Because I need help in this world. You, you know when I'm feel, failing, you know when I'm struggling. Father, you are there, you know all about me. So that we come here to worship God. Uh, we, we proclaim that through faith in Christ and study of God's word, we can know him. And one of the things that we know about him is that he knows everything. And he knows everything about you. And, can you believe it, he loves you anyway. When things are going well, God your Father knows it and rejoices. And when things are struggling, the heart of your Father breaks. What do we know about God? We know a little bit, just a little bit, about the mystery of His all-embracing knowledge. Stanza 2. It's not just knowing. There's also the mystery of God's inescapable presence. You see the difference? Not only knows everything, but he is everywhere present. And so David tries to envision getting away from where God is. 
Yes, he might know, but I'm going to get away from him. Verse 7. So where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? All right. If I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. If I, I go down as far down into the earth someplace in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea. Now, this wings of the dawn is a metaphor. I think I put this up here so you could see it. It is one of the most beautiful phrases in Scripture. Uh, Nine o'clock service. Folks, I'm guessing we have some early morning risers here, right? Those of you who are sleeping, you probably aren't early morning risers. But some of you have actually seen this. This is when uh, in, in the morning it is the darkest. And then suddenly the first ray of light shoots across the horizon. Have you ever seen it? Just shoots across the horizon. It's, it's a spectacular thing. It goes so fast. It says, even if I could go that fast and, and go to the other side of the sea, I cannot get away from you. Your presence is there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. I'll tell you, I, I think... That perhaps here, David tries to envision, do I want to get away from God? Do I want to get away from God? What is he like? Is is it a God who simply knows, or is it more than that, that he also is there with me? See, because if he's not there with you, we know in our world, we can always try to get away from people. Children, you can try to get away from your parents. Uh, People who commit crimes can try to get away from the police and try to hide themselves. Or you might try to get away from your pastor, the three P's, parents, police, and pastor. (laughs) And David David sort of reflects on this. I thought if he were writing this poem as a member of Lake Avenue Church, he might say something like this. If I could run over there to a JPL NASA and get access... Uh, to some sort of rocket to shoot me into the stratosphere. I, can't, I won't get away from you. You've made every part of the universe. Or he would say maybe something like this. If I could then enter into another world, kind of like Narnia. You read those? If such things existed and there were another world that somehow you and I could get into, even there, Father, that would be a part of your creation. And you would be there also. Rise on the wings of the dawn. If I could swim as fast as Michael Phelps, (laughs) I could not swim fast enough, Father, to get away from you. So he's saying that no matter how far we go, no matter how fast we travel, no matter what direction we go in, God is still there. Now, of course, we could still have that feeling then of, of the Orwellian big brother is watching you and some people think that that's what verse 7 is about father I want to get away from you how can I do it but it's pretty clear that that's not what David is saying Uh, to the contrary he's wondering what some of you as who may be going through some challenging times might be wondering is there any place in this world where I'm not going to have the help presence and sufficiency of God Uh, when those tough times come and we feel rejected from people perhaps and I know even though our, our governor has told us that uh, we've hit the bottom financially, it's going to get better. Uh, in our church congregation, so many of you have dropped me notes, and I keep hearing messages about people who have lost their jobs and are going through such challenging times. Is that beyond the presence, the knowledge, and the help of God? And, and David says, no. I want you to know, and look at verse 10. Father, wherever I go, 
I'm not hopeless because even in those places, even in those times, your hand will guide me. Take, telling me the next step to take. Sometimes I wish you'd do it earlier, <laughs> but I know that if I wait upon you, your hand will guide me. And I love this next phrase, your right hand. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's that, that symbol of the place of strength. God, your right hand will hold me fast so that I know this. Verses 11 and 12. If in, I in this world say, I know that there's going to time, come a time when the darkness of this world will hide me. And even what once was light, a good place, and some, a place where I enjoyed, will become darkness. Father, it won't be darkness to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He knew that God was his loving Father. And I'll tell you, once again, it's a message that you and I, as followers of Jesus, understand far better than David, who wrote before Jesus came, could have ever understood. That Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. And when he left, he says, I have to go so that I can send you someone better. Read John 14, 6 through 16. What could possibly be better? He said, I will give you my Holy Spirit, who will dwell in you, so that you are never without my presence. It's one of the most beautiful truths in the, in the scriptures about who God is. Trying to anticipate any situation in this world where God is not. And David says, he is everywhere. It seems to me that David remembers his own poem. And the one phrase that I'm guessing many of you have memorized. That even in those times in this world, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... Even there I will fear no evil. And why? For you are with me. It's this mystery, beautiful mystery, of the inescapable presence of God. Which brings us to the third stanza. And here we'll see it's not only that he knows everything and is present, but he is actually at work in every part of our lives. I called it, I, I couldn't find a better phrase, so think about it. The mystery, I've called it, of God's personal and sovereign providence. And by that, I simply mean that, that this God is, is working in a situation. It's not just that he sees it, knows it, but he is at work. And that's verses 13 through 18, in which David looks at his own life and he says, For, for you created my inmost being. Oh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, made by you. And your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then in this language of birth, that, uh, that, have you ever understood this? Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was in that secret place. Do you, do you know where that is? That's why I wanted to show you that picture of Jeremy's child. It looks just like Jeremy, didn't, didn't you think? That's in the mother's womb when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It's just that figurative, poetic language. Even there. Before I was born, your eyes saw my unborn body. All the days that have ever been ordained for me were written, God, in your book before one of them came to be. Now, we're talking about mystery here. Uh, so if there's anything that you and I actually see and experience that goes beyond our human understanding, it has to be the birth of a child, don't you think? Don't you think? And that's what David, even, even though he knew few details about the things that we now know about, about genetics and uh, embryology and about DNA and chromosomes, 
He had never seen the pulsating heart of an unborn child in an ultrasound scan. He'd never seen that. And men, you, you should probably know, he'd probably never seen the delivery of a child. <laughs> because it wasn't up until very recent years that men were ever led anywhere near the delivery of a baby. Did you know that? That's all brand new stuff. David had probably never experienced it. But he did know enough to be able to, by his common sense and observation, say, listen, a human life is an amazing thing. The way this mind and body and emotions, how it all functions together. And he knew enough and was perceptive of enough that this body, to know that this body is so complex that it didn't happen just by chance. And how could this happen through nine months of, of being in a, a womb? And he knew that there had to be an intelligence there and, and guiding and, and directing it. He just, he just knew it. And he also knew this. That if ever there perhaps would be um, a time in a human being's life when God may think, well, that life isn't all important back then, it would be when we are in the womb, being what many in our society just call a fetus. And here he says, no, no, no. Uh, Even then, each moment was precious to you. Each moment was a part of where you were at work in my life. He was in awe of this. How precious to me are, are your thoughts, O God. It is so amazing to me that you, you know everything about everyone. Uh, uh, you are present in the lives of everyone. This is mystery, isn't it? And that you're active in the lives of, of every human being. How marvelous are those thoughts, O Lord. If I tried to even count them, they'd be more than the gra- grains of the sea. Because, Father, I know that when I'm awake, you're with me and with everyone. Now, there's so many things that I want to say about this text to you. Uh, And I'll come back to it someday. I will. But let me just make a few statements so that you can chew on them, think about them, as we try to learn about God. One statement I want to make in the light of this stanza, verses 13 to 18, is that all human life, is known and loved and directed by God. All human life. And and that means that you and I should have such different eyes for people. Regardless of ethnicity, age, how much money people have, if we will see as God sees it. Is, Is this clear? We see that all, all people are so important. Which is another statement I want to make. That means then, I don't know how else I can get away from this, that there is no such thing as a human life without quality. This ethical debate that goes on in our universities about the quality of life and certain lives that should be allowed to go on and others not, is not a biblical debate. I mean, after all, each one of us is disabled somehow, right? Are, are we willing to admit that? Each one of us is disabled in some ways. Uh, none of us is, is all that anyone could possibly be. The amazing thing is each one of us made in the image of God, each one, each one valuable. It also lets us know something about, about this endless debate that's been going on about when life becomes valuable. It tells us from the very beginning. 
from, from that very moment that God knit that life together in the mother's womb. It's, it's a life that God loves and is made in his image. It also tells us that even the difficult times are under the control of God. Sometimes we don't know when they will ever end, right? He calls upon us to know he's there and to trust him. But, but I want you to know that even the difficult times, even the times of our failure, are not outside of his ability to redeem. The God we know turned a cross into the, to the very vehicle for our rescue, right? Therefore, he can redeem and use anything in all of life. For every moment of life is known by him. He is present in it and is directed by him. And here, too, I'll just mention at the very end of this stanza, there is such great encouragement here for those of us who lose loved ones, even children. And it tells us that those even untimely deaths are not haphazard. We may not be able to make any sense out of them. But someday God will let us know why he allowed to happen what has happened. This is the text that God gave to my wife, Chris, when we lost our middle child in 1984. It's, it's the text that is on the tombstone of our little daughter, Brittany Ann. At least this part of it that, that I want to show you. What do we believe about God? That all the days ordained for me and for any were written on your book before one of them came to be. Now there are going to be so many things that we can make no sense out of. But one of the things we must believe is that God is good and that he can bring victory out of tough things and has brought resurrection out of death so that its sting is gone because this is the mystery of the personal and sovereign work of our God. Now, our time is gone, but let me at least turn to this fourth stanza. Fourth stanza is so different from the rest. It goes from verses 19 to 24, and it really is two different ways, two appropriate responses, I think, to this kind of God. The first one is uh, how we respond to the evil that we see in others, evil out there in the world. Uh, So we come to church... We hear about a God who knows everything, who is present everywhere, who is at work in everything that happens. Then we look into the world and say, it's a mess. <laughs> We're angry with, with what's happening in our politics. Uh, we are angry with what's happening in, in child slavery in so many parts of the world that even touches our own society. And how do we respond? We should be, David is saying, angry about it. God, if only you would, I want you to act now. If only you would slay the wicked God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty people. And God, don't you know, they speak of you with evil intent. They misuse your name. I just hate them. I hate what's going on. Now, some people have read that and and have thought that this was probably added on. There's no way this could be a part of this beautiful psalm. But it really does make sense, doesn't it? It's the question that every thinking Christian has to ask. How can we believe in this kind of God and then live in this kind of world? and wonder why he isn't working and doing something about evil. Now, this psalm doesn't answer that, but the Bible points us to the fact that God has said that I will. He will say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Evil will be judged. Good news, but it's bad news for us because we've engaged in it, but it is good news. 
the wrath of God, Romans 1, is going to be poured out against all that is unrighteous. So goodness will be rewarded and evil will be punished. And until it is, we, we, we are right when we are angry about evil in our world and speak out against it. We're also right when we use what God gives us to try to bring about His justice and His compassion into this world and to extend the, the love and compassion of Christ to, to hurting people. Uh, so that, but until God finishes His work, we're going to feel like this. We should speak out against evil and work for the good. So that's the first response to a God who is like this. But the second response is very personal. When we think that God is like this, we look at ourselves. Because you and I know that the evil isn't just out there. Right? Have we become honest enough here at Lake Avenue Church that we'll say, yes, look in here. And that's what he does. Oh, Lord, I know I'm angry about those people. Uh, But I look in the mirror. Search me, oh, God. Know my heart. And there are two things that he wants God to deal with in him. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Show me those parts of my life where I don't trust you yet. Where I try to take it into, uh, things into my own hands. Uh, we have put up our walls here. And you know, we're filled with people put many things up here that they want to give to God. One part of it was anxiety. Do you remember that? Psalm 55. And the second part was guilt, Psalm 51. Look at all of these sheets of paper. As I keep saying, we are an anxiety-filled, guilt-ridden group of people here at the Lake Avenue Church. Except we know where to bring those things. We know where to bring those things. Because what God is like is that He knows and He loves us anyway. And He's done something to make it different. To cast fear Away and to cast sin as far as east is from the west. So, Father, know my anxiety. I bring it to you. Father, see if there are any offensive ways in me. Because I want to live your way, the way everlasting, not my own way. In fact, you will see that we once again have put a sheet of paper in the worship folder that there, if there are any matters of fear or anxiety or concern that you want to bring and just symbolically give them to God. You can do them right where you are, but if you'd like to do that and we keep these matters in prayer as we keep them private, or matters that you know that there's a sin in your life that you pray, pray that there will be victory over, I would love to have you to write that and bring it forward at the end as well. Because the God of the Bible, on one side, will never allow us to reduce him to some comfortable size. That's why as I try to teach you about God, I can't show you any pictures. <laughs> I can't show you any pictures. But I'm going to tell you on the authority of his word, this is what he's like. He knows everything. So you might as well know that, but he loves you. He's present with you everywhere. Emmanuel, he will be with you to help you. And he is ready to be involved. It's, it's not a deistic God who's out there knowing and just letting it go and roll on. He is a God who's involved in every moment of our lives. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? He is to be known, you know. God does exist. And He's told us that He wants us to know Him. Do you want to know Him? The many of us who've come to church this morning who who know Him, we long to know Him better, don't we? 
And we come to his word to be taught. But I know there's some who come who would long to have a personal relationship with God. This is what he is like. And if you say, well, you only told me about him. How can I know him personally? Well, let me tell you. Uh, Gospel of John. No one has ever seen God the Father at any time except God the Son, Jesus. He makes him known. So that in John 14, a man named Philip came to Jesus and said, Jesus, instead of you dying, just show us the Father. We want to know the Father. Do you remember what Jesus said? If you see me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Yet, yes, no one in other ways can come to the Father except through me. Through me, through Jesus, you come to the Father. Do you want to know him? I tell you, bring your sins, bring your lives to him in faith. Trust Jesus. And the wall that separates you from God will come down and you will be made alive to God. If if you say, "I'm, I'm not sure I want to know a God like this who knows everything about me and is everywhere. I just want to tell you that the more you know about him, you would say, why don't I want to know him? He's the very one I need. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And he wants you to ask him into your life. May our prayer be, search me, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. Try me, test me, O God. Show me offensive ways. I give my life to you. Lead me, lead me in your everlasting way. To his glory. Amen. Jeremy and Ken and team, if you will come up, you're going to be singing a, uh, a wonderful song. And as this song is being sung, talking about the fact that he knows our name, if you would take out that sheet of paper, perhaps write down some of those uh, anxious thoughts, maybe some of the offensive ways that God opens your eyes to, to bring them to God, be sure to do so. If you would like this morning to meet with somebody to pray with, then just continue to come. We have our prayer team and our prayer leaders right through this door. You can come to the walls and lead them. The walls go back to your seat. Or you can simply come as we have Pastor Marion and you'll see some of our prayer team who will come. And as the music is done, come and bring that anxiety, bring that guilt to the Lord and leave it with him.